Well, let's continue to talk about that story as we turn now to Colossians, and we are in chapter 2. We'll give a review on the whole book so far, but Paul has given a glorious description of the superiority of, of Jesus Christ, and really has made it clear because of all that Jesus is, creator, reconciler, the one who took on God's wrath so that we did not have to, provided us forgiveness and all of these and much more, that he deserves our full commitment, our full attention. And yet we still must be honest, we still have almost daily distractions that keep us from Jesus and that full attention that he deserves. And that's why Paul is really writing this uh, book, and we're going to see that in particular today, because part of Paul's ministry was to warn the churches of false teaching that would distract them from the truths of the gospel. And in this case, whether it's specifically with the church of Colossae or these churches in the valley, the Lycus Valley, including Laodicea and Heropolis, there was some sort of teaching going on that had a focus on other spiritual experience besides a relationship with Christ. Maybe to sum it up, that Christ isn't really enough. That there's excitement to be had in other spiritual experiences as well. And it included some sort of strange, inordinate attention on angels and spiritual beings. We don't know all the details about this, but we do know that these teachings were distracting believers from their focus on Jesus as, as Paul described, the superior, uniquely authentic source of spiritual experience. Again, folks, all that we have that we need is found in our relationship with Christ. It's through Christ. Paul stated as well that he toiled and suffered because this message was so important to proclaim the superiority of Jesus Christ. It was Paul's heartbeat. He did everything in his life to proclaim this. And so Paul is going to, as we continue in Colossians chapter 2, see in verse 6, he's going to continue to emphasize our need to depend on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for all things and never to be persuaded to put our trust in anything else. Because I think you would agree with me. I would hope you would amen this, but trust in any power or personality of any kingdom or any political persuasion other than Jesus leaves us vulnerable to captivity to the enemy's devices. And folks, that really is one of the greatest harms in leaving Christ or being distracted from Christ is that we put ourselves, we fall prey to the enemy's devices. We can literally for a season be taken captive. Paul's going to mention that today. That is one of our main problems, and that addresses that today, is that we tend to find fulfillment in other things besides Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we can't enjoy other things. God has given us things to enjoy in his time, under, under his parameters. All things are ours to enjoy, but God puts parameters around them. And whenever we start to enjoy or find fulfillment in any person or any other thing, more than we find fulfillment in Jesus Christ, 
That is when we put ourselves in danger of captivity of these things. And that's what Paul's warning about. And we're going to see today, escaping captivity through Christ. And let's start at verse 6. We'll read to verse 10. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There's an appropriate word for what's coming up this month. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the, full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Or what a great reflection it is, and a wonderful promise that all we need is found in Christ. And Lord, you know at the same time, Father, you know, we're, we're a distracted people. We have a hard time being committed. And so I pray that even today, that as we're reminded of the dangers of being distracted or finding fulfillment in other things besides Jesus, that the dangers are real. And that it can inhibit our ministry and bring damage to our lives and to the lives of the people around us. To hold us, we can literally be held for a time, temporarily at least, captive by the enemy, by losing our distraction on Christ. Help us to see, to heed this warning, to hear it well, and to mark it, that we might again, that we might refocus ourselves on our commitment to Christ. We've sung about that all this morning. But let us continue to continue to make this a real, dedicated, committed relationship with you. We need Jesus' help to do that, and we pray for that. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, this theme we're going to see this Sunday morning, and I think next Sunday morning as well, escaping captivity through Christ. And Paul is going to point out in verses 6 through 10, and verses 6 through 7 in particular, that our reliance on Christ protects us from captivity, and reliance on Christ strengthens our growth. It fuels our spiritual growth. We have to depend upon Jesus for that spiritual growth to continue for us to mature. And so he has this, these verses 6 and 7 that really could be the overall theme of the whole book. In these two verses, Paul kind of sums up the whole way to stay committed to Christ. And in a brief synopsis here that is very helpful, I'd recommend memorizing these verses. They're easy to memorize, and it kind of encaptures the whole thing of the book. Verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Received points back to our conversion. When we, in our sin, in our rebellion, the light of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, made it clear to us our need for Christ, and we gloriously trusted in him. And the work that Jesus did enabled conversion, and we became new, new creatures. We had new life, all the promises 
that are promised God's people and uh, membership in the church and the unity and the fellowship together. All of that happened in that moment of conversion. We were given those things and we put our faith and trust and dependence in Jesus for that, right? That same though, folks, that same faith and dependence that we needed for conversion, we need for continuance in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, just as you in faith and dependence upon Jesus Christ, and, and don't miss how he describes, this is a main, one of the early confessionals of the early church, that they referred to Jesus as Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ, he is the anointed one. He is the one sent from God, the Messiah. He is the chosen one that came to redeem us, to bring reconciliation. Jesus, our Savior, the one that brings salvation. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Lord, the one that we are supposed to submit to. He is our Lord. We get in line under his authority and we serve him faithfully. Beautiful testimony here. And Paul gives this whole, the whole testimony and um, and phrase here of commitment that the early church often gave of Jesus Christ. Just as you depended upon him for salvation, continue to, in faith and dependence, walk in him. We need to continue in that same faith and dependence that we had in our conversion. And we forget that sometimes. We so many times get up on a regular basis during the day, or on, on, in the morning, and we try to live life in our own strength, even as a Christian, in our own power. And we forget to say, Lord, I need you today. I really need you today. Um, I need you to help me through some of the things that I'm struggling through, that my family's struggling through. We're having... Um, a financial crisis, and I need your help through this. Lord, there's some sins I'm struggling with today, some anger issues and whatever, and I need you. I can't do this on my own. We walk with him in spiritual growth in the same way that we received Christ Jesus the Lord. We submit to him as Lord and depend upon him for the power to grow and to move forward. We're walking with him. We're always moving forward. The energy behind that, as Paul described, remember, not too long ago, I toil and struggle in not my own energy, but his energy and in his power. It's his power, the power of Christ that's described here that we depend upon. It's so simple. So many times we forget, right? Verse 7, rooted and builded up in him and established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul has just described that spiritual walk, and now he's going to give us more information again about what that looks like. And he uses some phrases here with pictures that he used before uh, in Ephesians, and we're going to look at a picture that Jesus used as well. Pictures of horticulture and construction in these words. And so, first of all, this idea of rooted as describing our walk with the Lord. He desires to see us firmly rooted. And if you've had a garden this year, and your plants, your vegetables, your whatever you were planting took firm root, you had a much more successful crop than those that um, 
just the roots were literally below the surface and they dried up and, you know, they fall away. You can literally see the roots coming out, out of the ground. We understand this concept very well, right? We need deep roots within God's word. And we've described that recently as well. Our need to be in God's word on a regular basis, rooted deeply in understanding, knowing his word, being committed to his word so that we can grow and be more fruitful for him. You know, there's another picture. Let's go to John 15, just quickly. Verses 1 through 8. In this picture of being, of growing in Christ, you, you can't help, at least I can't help, but go back to the picture of Jesus being in the vine, and Jesus is the true vine. Another classic, wonderful picture of the need to continue to grow in him and not in our own strength, John 15. And both of these pictures I'm going to be describing, we have been through recently. So hopefully maybe you remember um, our discussion of them. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In the picture here, believers as an organic part of Jesus, the vine, and abiding in him through faith and dependence, we're acting in accordance with Jesus the vine and the expectations of the Father as the vine dresser, and we will continue to experience fruitful ministry. And really in that same vein, Paul is saying being rooted in Christ so that we continue to experience fruitful ministry and fruitful growth. This is a picture that we're well aware of. But it's powerful. And our need, again, just um, Paul graciously uses many pictures of our need for dependence on Christ. He doesn't just say depend, have faith in Jesus. But he gives us pictures to help us uh, think through and remember it better. So we have the picture of growing, of horticulture, in being rooted, but also built up in him. And now he switches metaphors, really, to a construction metaphor. Now, that, that may seem a little strange. You go from, you know, growing and plants growing and things to a building being constructed. But if you really think about it, in the Old Testament, in one of the uh, normal Bible descriptions of the growth of the temple um, and the, the people of God in the temple uses both of these uh, plant illustrations and building illustrations. And if that's true in the Old Testament, is it also true that the New Testament describes the church or us as the building, the temple of God? Do you remember that from Ephesians chapter 2? Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul uses this um, imagery in much more detail, talking about being built up in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church described as a living temple for God. By faith, each of us are incorporated into this building, growing as we continue um, to be part of the building. And we are being fitly framed together in unity. And both of these concepts, Paul is briefly highlighting then back in Colossians chapter 7, that we continue in our walk with Jesus by being firmly grounded and rooted and firmly built up on the right foundation. And thus were established. That has the picture of spiritual stability. It is an awful thing for a believer, a child of God, to live a life of instability. Kind of like, you know, as Peter, this picture definitely comes to mind as he was stepping out of the boat and Jesus was walking on the water and in the instability of that boat where all the apostles, the disciples were scared and the turning, the churning of the waters and all the fear that they had. And yet when Peter put his eyes on Christ, all of that fear melted away. But unfortunately, he took his eyes off Christ. And again, that instability as he was faltering in the water. Folks, that was not and is not Jesus' plan for his church is to live a life of instability. To always be living a life of ups and downs because we're not firmly entrenched in God's word and studying God's word and depending upon Jesus and our relationship with him. It's an awful way to live and it's a poor testimony. And we don't want that to be a part of our lives. We want to be stable. Don't you want to be stable during the tough times? Again, we, we face another uh, situation in our country uh, this, this week. Are you going to be anxious and hanging on every newscast and for every moment? And are you going to be stable in Christ? Lord, whatever happens, I know you're in control. My stability does not, um, does not rest on any politician, but it's in Jesus Christ. That's a stable way to live. We can be established in our faith, our faith in Christ, and have that stability. And that pattern of living, as Paul and others, he says, just as you were taught, remember, although Paul, through his letters, had had some effect on this church, this church had been started through Epaphras. So most likely the servant of God, Epaphras, that came after being mentored by Paul, came to this area. God used him to start this church. He would have been the one that would have taught them the spiritual truths of Jesus Christ and would have nurtured them. As they were taught, so they needed to continue firmly rooted and built up with stability. And that would cause them to overflow, abounding there. The Greek word really has the idea of a fountain overflowing in Thanksgiving. If you've been struggling this past week with being ornery, being grumpy, being cynical, having trouble with gratitude, uh, Honestly, folks, there may be a lot of reasons for that. There may be some health reasons. There may be some frustrations in your life. But can I submit to you that the main reason most likely you're struggling with that is because you're not firmly rooted in Jesus Christ this last week? 
You're not rooted in the truths and the understanding of who he is. But you're unstable, being tossed about. And so you've forgotten what we have to be thankful for. You're not very thankful. Again, those who are rooted and grounded, who are built on Christ, who are stable in him, we're reminded we have much to be thankful for. We overabound in thankfulness, regardless of what's going on around us. Because, folks, we have a home in heaven. We have new life. Whatever happens to this body, we'll have an eternal body that will live forever. We will one day be under the rulership of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Remember that, okay? In the fallibility of our leaders in our world today, one day we will be under the reign of Christ forever. It will be glorious. We will have eternal rest. Those realities ought to pull us out of the doldrums and anchor us in what Christ has for us. So again, this glorious truth in these two verses, the reliance, dependence on Christ, strengthens our growth, motivates us. Let's read them again. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Have you ever seen someone or you just marvel? You know, nothing seems to move them. They're always confident in their faith in Christ. They're always talking. They don't seem to be bothered and worried about things. That is a picture of someone who is growing in this way that Paul describes. And that can be all of us. It doesn't have to be just one person. All of us can be stable in this way. Well, Paul has a concern. He's motivating them to continue to depend upon Jesus because there is something in their midst that is trying to distract them. And thus we're going to see in the next few verses that reliance on Christ also protects us. It protects us from error and from distractions. And so verse 8 says, see to it. Here's Paul's warning, his main concern for writing this letter. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, there's a lot of interesting words in there that we're going to have to go through carefully to have understanding. And it does seem, as we continue in this, that there's some sort of teaching that is a dangerous deception among these churches to distract their commitment to Christ. Something, some kind of teaching, philosophy, whatever, is distracting these folks from having total commitment and dependence on Christ to the point where Paul describes them as they're about to be taken captive. What's interesting, that word captive describes something that takes control of something else. And starts and carries it away, drags it away. It's not something positive in any regards. Well, what could do that? What could provide, what could literally capture us and drag us away? Paul's describing um, some sort of teaching that he's warning about that literally has the potential of taking control of believers' thoughts and actions and carrying them away from their dependence on God. And then, and interestingly here, we need to take note of, Paul uses a few words that he uses nowhere else in his letters. Philosophy, tradition. And from my study, what I think is going on here, I think it's probable that Paul's using the actual words 
of the false wisdom teaching teachers, I'll call them gurus, the false wisdom gurus that were using words like philosophy and traditions to try to pull people away from their dependence on Christ. And Paul is actually using these terms to draw attention to the fact that those teachings are wrong. So what does he say about, let's look at that word philosophy. I looked up the word philosophy in the dictionary, online dictionary, just so we'd have a basis for what, I think we know what philosophy is in our, in our world today, but let's just get a definition here to kind of tamp that down. The study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and existence, especially when considered as an academic discipline, a particular system of philosophical thought. Here's another one, the study of a theoretical basis of a particular branch of knowledge or experience, like the philosophy of science. And then one more, this was helpful. Quite literally, the term philosophy means love of wisdom. In a broad sense, philosophy is an activity people undertake when they seek to understand fundamental truths about themselves, the world in which they live, and their relationship to the world and to each other. Now, with those definitions, why in the world, why would Paul have any trouble with that? Just folks getting to know their world better and trying to process it better? Does Paul have any trouble with us learning and gaining wisdom about how things work and, and, and how the world operates? Well, I think we understand that Paul's not referring, he's not negatively um, painting philosophy across the board as something that is negative toward believers that will take them captive, there must be a more specific application to this. What type of philosophies is he talking about? Well, in application here, it seems that there was a specific teaching of a religious group that claimed special insight into God, Christ, spiritual powers, creation, that they were also then setting, and we'll see this later on, setting some sort of rules on its members and um, giving themselves some sort of authority that Christ had never given them. And so they were using nice-sounding words like philosophy. These are the traditions and philosophy, that, um, and they sound really noble and inspiring. And Paul uses these words and basically says, don't listen to their um, nice-sounding words because their actuality they're they're pro uh, promoting deceit they use words trying to trick you making you sound like oh these things that that distract from christ are noble and um they're valuable but in actuality what does he call them after that word philosophy he says they're actually empty deceit they're espoused wisdom that they're trying to paint so and add um so um, carefully is actually dribble. And that word empty deceit means a worthless trick of deception. They're like magicians trying to argue the things that they, that they look like they can do. And in actuality, it's a trick. I remember in the 80s, um, there was a specific magician. You know, what was his name? David Copperfield, I guess, that had these TV specials. And he could do these amazing things. And one of these things that they advertised that he could do, I don't remember if this was in the 80s or 90s, but he literally supposedly on live television made the Empire State Building disappear. You know, and in my youth, I'm like, now I, I knew that he really didn't make that disappear. But as we're watching and he's standing there, he does these sort of tricks 
and things. And I'm sure that it had to do, you know, at that point with video editing and things. But he was able, through trickery and through sleight of hand and through special effects, to actually make a video uh, look like the Empire State Building had somehow blackened out or had disappeared. <clears throat> well, that made it look like that man had a lot of power. Wow, he can do this. He can make buildings disappear. Well, actually, he was a magi magician, not a musician, <laughs> a magician. And his acts of trickery looked really impressive. But in the end, we all knew, especially those that were older, that it was a farce. It wasn't real. But the problem is, is that these false wisdom, wisdom gurus are making people think that what they have to offer, in addition to the relationship with Christ, is worth something, is valuable. And Paul says, it's a trick. Don't fall for it. They're peddling in deceit. Furthermore, they describe it as according to human tradition. They're deceiving you, and they're calling it um, high-minded, um, nice-sounding words like, this is from tradition. It's reliable because it's been passed down for generations. And so just because we've been doing it this way for so long automatically means that you ought to be doing this. And, you know, yes, it's good to have a relationship with Christ. But also, these are things that we've done for a long time, and you ought to consider um, getting experience through these things, whatever they were. And then he says further, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is an interesting Greek word here that could actually represent three different meanings. He could be talking about forces from the spirit world. Remember, he's already referred to that, that there was some sort of inordinate attention to spiritual gains. They were being distracted from the truth of Christ. And so maybe here he's referring to um, the according to the elemental spirits of the world that these folks are actually following after spiritual forces and giving them more emphasis than Christ. There's a second option. He could be referring to basic principles of study more in line with the definition of philosophy that I just read to you, that as we uh, spend lots of time studying the basics and understanding our world that, and, and you know, it wouldn't be too far along the lines of, really, when you hear today about politicians and others saying, what we really need, the answer to all of our problems is more education. Heard that a lot, right? And again, folks, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of these pastors that says, Hey, don't study the Bible and don't go get a degree in a Bible university. You know, we could teach everything you need to know here. No, it's good to, to learn. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we put those things above our relationship with Christ and say education is superior, you know, oh, you can have that relationship with Christ, but you really need to understand the world, the philosophies, the human traditions of the world, the elemental spirits, the basic philosophies that make the world run in order to really be able to live life. Well, that's wrong. There's a third option here that he's talking about the basic elements of nature. And I tend uh, to go with that third option. And I think what Paul's saying here is that these worldly wise fulfillment teachings, that's a good way to describe them, were actually based on the worship of the creation rather than God. That meaning for that particular Greek word carries the usual meaning of the word at the time of Paul's writings. 
So, in other words, let me describe it this way. Let's go back to the Egyptians. And I don't know how much study you've done about this. I think I mentioned this before, but I hope uh, um, it's apparent that as you study the culture of, of the Egyptian society at the time um, that God's people were captive there, that the Egyptians worshipped all kinds of creative of, of aspects of creation as deities. They saw a God behind every bush, basically. There was a God for the river Nile. There was a God for the sun. There was a God for the flies. There was a God for the cows. Every All these different creation elements had gods, false gods. And that's one of the reasons that God brought the plagues is to systematically dethrone each of those gods in the eyes of the Egyptians, by the way. Oh, there goes the God of the sun as darkness comes over and he's gone. Oh, you know, uh, there goes the God of the cattle as they're all lying dead. And you get the idea. He was debunking that whole philosophy. Well, folks, that carried on in the New Testament times. And don't we even have people that worship nature today? I mean, you know, it still happens. And I think Paul is describing then... Um, the tendency to attach spiritual powers to elements of creation and worship them. And I think that's what he means by the elemental spirits of the world. The basic elements of nature that people are promoting and putting on a pedestal and almost worshiping those things, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Uh, interestingly enough, let's have the full picture here. Uh, the Bible does describe that there are spiritual beings and spiritual um, um, rulers that may be attached to some of those things. We really don't have a full understanding of, of what that means uh, or of how these rulers operate. But regardless of that, folks, what I'm trying to say is there are demonic forces involved with these false teachings that can have an effect on us that can literally take us captive in our minds and pull us away from Christ. Not, not eternally. Once we're saved, we have that foundation. We have that hope in Christ. But it can, they can distract us. And I do believe there are supernatural forces that can use things to distract us from the truth of our um, focus on Christ. And that seems to be the case of what was going on with these teachings in this. And so let's look at all of this together again in that verse. Paul's warning, see to it that no one takes you captive, that captures your uh, mind and leads you away by philosophy, by making it sound like it's something um, good and wholesome. In actuality, these teachings are empty. They're trickery. They're trying to deceive you. According to human tradition, just because something's always been done a certain way in our country, or yeah, sometimes even in churches, folks, doesn't mean that, that it always has to be that way. In other words, when, not that there's something wrong with all human tradition or even all church tradition, but if we elevate tradition beyond our relationship with Christ, we're wrong in that. And even traditions that we have in our country, if we elevate those things, there are some um, politicians that are trying to emphasize, well, we've done it this way for many years and trying to make that sound like that's a good reason to continue it. And in fact, some of those policies that they espouse are against the principles of Christ. We don't follow after those things just because people have done it for a long time. 
Paul says that can't be your ultimate criteria for why you follow after something. And certainly not to the point where you are worshiping things other than Christ. All of this, he says, don't let it take you captive. And not according to Christ. These things are tempting them to draw them away from their focus on Jesus Christ. And so it can help hold them captive and lead them ineffective in their ministry. Now, these folks are having wonderful ministry, are they not? Through Epaphras and Philemon, and Paul has described the great ministry they're having, but that is about to be weakened if they are distracted by these other things. And Paul doesn't want to see that. And so he warns them of this. Don't be distracted. Remember, focus on Christ. Well, Paul was intentionally vain. Here, would we agree? We don't know all the details of what was going on. Well, why would he do that? Well, I think he didn't want to create more interest in these false philosophers. The more details he gave, the more they might research it or look at it, and they might be more drawn into it. So he kept it vague. But the problem is, how do we apply this to today, then, if it's so vague? We don't know what he's, who's, he refer, who he's referencing. How can we avoid that? Well, I struggled with that. Many scholars do. But as I begin to think about this, folks, there's a lot of ways to apply this because we have a more general application then. Um, consider this. Don't we know people, pursuits, and personalities that they describe as following religiously today? Don't we hear that term a lot? That person follows that religiously. I mean, I just gave, made up my own list here of things that people devote their time to and follow, as we describe religiously. I think it's just basically saying we they spend a lot of time and are devoted to following that particular thing, whatever it is. Uh, even something as simple as, as TV talk show hosts in the mornings. I remember, you, you can remember back in the 80s and, Again, I'm just giving a couple of examples of public figures that we know well and the Oprah show and how people followed and Christians followed her almost religiously and were listening to her teachings and the teachings of others that came on the show. Not that all of those were bad, but there were some believers that elevated that almost and had almost as much focus on that as they did their relationship with the Lord. Uh, more modernly, I do know some Christians that still follow that the TV talk show host by Ellen believe it or not, and follow after things that she teaches. Sports, don't we get influenced by sport figures and, and their abilities to do amazing things? So sometimes we can get pulled in and sometimes things that they say can have more influence on us than they should. Well, if they're doing it, certainly it's okay for me to do it. <clears throat> News media figures, People that may espouse um, right principles and things, but we get so caught up in the personality that literally everything that they say, we follow and think that it's right. No, measure that with, with Bible. Measure that with Scripture. Entertainment icons that espouse cultic teachings. Don't we know many uh, Hollywood entertainers that espouse Scientology? People get drawn into that. There's been some superhero movies uh, over the past number of years that have drawn people into false cults of um, Greek gods and different things. And even Christians have been swept away by those types of things. Technology updates, when our whole life revolves around what the next update's going to be and the next 
iPhone, smartphone, whatever. And again, I love iPhones. I've got one. But when my focus on that becomes to the point where it's it's my main focus in life, my I'm distracted from my relationship with Christ. I've even you've even watched food channel shows where people seem to talk about eating as if they're having a religious experience, right? Even food can distract us. You remember that advertisement in the 80s, Coke is the real thing? It's soda. And yet here's an advertisement saying it's the real, it, it's it's a thing that you ought to follow after. Well, what a, what a crazy thing to dedicate your life to. It's it's a, it's sugar water that's carbonated. You add your own list, folks. What tends to captivate us? Remember that word capture? I like that word, captivate. What tends to captivate our minds and our interests more than following Christ? Whatever that is, Paul is warning you here, don't be drawn away. Keep the focus, Christ. And he does that, remind us real quickly here in verses 9 to 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Paul reminds us, don't be distracted because Jesus is all we need. He is the fullness of God in human form. He is um, the fullness of deity dwelling in a human body. He is human, yet he's fully God. A beautiful way to describe that. You don't need anything else. Jesus is it. And then on a play in words, he says in verse 10, and you have been filled in him. And what he's saying is basically that surely one who is the fullness of God can totally fill us, can totally, in other words, be our fulfillment. Why are you looking at for other things to fulfill you? When the very Son of God fulfills everything that we need, Paul's saying here, no substitutes or additions. You don't need anything else. Jesus is the superior spiritual experience, the real thing who has authority over all other spiritual beings. Again, verse 10, you've been filled in him who is the head over all rule and authority. Remember those Greek words describe spiritual beings. Paul well, says, whatever spiritual beings you're being distracted by and captivated by, get your attention back on Christ. Don't let this distract you. Um, we don't eat at these places very often because it would be too much of a temptation for me, but every so often we do have opportunity to go to a buffet. And, and we do enjoy that uh, the few times that, that we go. Uh, I, I do try to keep my weight in line as much as is possible, so you can't eat there all the time, obviously. But our um, my in-laws and my mom like to eat at places like that. So, at, you know, they were here last month, and so we had opportunity. There's a, a Golden Corral, and if you've been to one of those before, there's one in Manchester that's a very nice, clean, probably the, one of the better ones that I've been to. And there's a lot of food there. So... What I've learned over the years is, you know, gorging yourself to your sick. I mean, it can be fun at first, but in the reality, in the end, you pay for it. In the end, you really don't enjoy it that much. Um, children learn that the hard way, right? Is they eat too much in one of these places, and then they go, get rid of it. <laughs> oh, you don't want to do that when, when you get to a certain age. And so I, we prepare ourselves, my wife and I, ahead of time. And I don't take in certain things before we're going to that. I realize, okay, we're going to this buffet, this Golden Corral, so I'm not going to eat this this afternoon. And I'm going to 
leave myself a little more hungry. I'm not going to take in everything else that I could because I know I'm about to have fulfillment with food in a, in a marvelous way with a huge spread. And so I'm going to avoid all the other things that I could fill myself up with so I can enjoy that filling, that experience. That's a very shallow way to describe what Paul is talking about here, folks. But I think it makes the point. We don't want to fill ourselves up with all the shallow, the lesser things of the world when we have a wonderful spiritual banquet in Christ that we can feed from through his word and relationship with him every day. Don't spend your time getting filled up with all the other things so you have no room for Christ. And, and focus and attention on him, but let him be the one that fulfills you. And then if you have time for the other things, fine. Go ahead and enjoy those things. But don't make them the primary source of fulfillment. Because it can capture us and it can make us ineffective in our relationship and our ministry for Christ. But we don't want that. Go to the ultimate source, the fullness of God, and seek Him. And Fill yourself with the blessings that only Jesus can provide. And that will keep us from being distracted from all the poultry. We, we get distracted so easily. Isn't it frustrating sometimes? Little trinkets, plastic toys, and trinkets and baubles that we accept rather than the wonderful spiritual riches that Christ has for us. Don't be distracted. Continue to dedicate and commit yourself to the great eternal riches we have in Christ. Father, what a reminder it is to us that we get distracted so easily with so many things. In this culture especially, we have access to so many more things in this world than people have ever had throughout history. And we can get distracted by so many things and lose our commitment to serving you. Let us take this morning from Paul and make it our own and soberly evaluate. Have I been putting distractions? Have I been seeking fulfillment that only should be reserved for fulfillment through Christ? And Lord, in your grace, help us to repent of those and turn back and experience the full pleasure and excitement of being used by you and the blessings that you offer for all eternity. We need your help for this, and we ask for it in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.